Welcome back for this week's episode of the Sports Gospel Show here on sportsgospel.com or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Darren and Andrew back with you on this week's episode. We're able to squeeze one in here before October gets crazy. Hopefully we can do a few more this month. So much going on in the sports world we want to get to. We'll have Major League Baseball playoff preview coming up as we're recording this. We have the first couple wildcard games. We'll have some fantasy football updates from Andrew, our fantasy football expert, and finish up with some NFL if we have time. But first, we need to put a bow on the waterfall that happened after the Damian Lillard trade. So we had that big deal and then followed up with Drew Holiday. Everybody knew that the Blazers were going to flip him. So they sent him to the Celtics in return. They get Malcolm Brogdon, Robert Williams, a 2024 first rounder, and way down the road, 2029 unprotected first round pick. So I'll just take this, uh, get your perspective on this. What does this mean for all parties involved? Yeah, it's really the Celtics going all in, um, kind of like Milwaukee did. Uh, Robert Williams and Malcolm Brogdon are very talented players when they're in the game, but the problem is that they're not in the game a lot. Um, Robert Williams has had a lot of injury issues, and then we know about the injury issues with Brogdon. And so I think this really just solidifies kind of the top six for the Celtics because you have Przingis Horford, Tatum Brown, Derek White, Drew Holiday, uh, I mean, that's essentially your your team right there, right? Um, and then you'll just have to, the Celtics will have to do some filling in around it, just like the Bucks will have to do with their team now that they have Dame. They'll have to fill in with some veterans, but I think it really makes Boston's top six, really, is kind of scary, but they are taking a little bit of a risk here because we know about Porzingis and his history as well. So they look really great on paper, but um, they're really top heavy, just like a lot of the contending teams are. So, and then I, I don't mind it for Portland because you're rebuilding anyways. You take the risk on guys like uh, Robert Williams and Malcolm Brogdon because Malcolm Brogdon is a veteran winning player. Robert Williams is a winning player. You can have him play backup to DeAndre Ayton. I think it's kind of perfect. You aren't going to play Ayton and, and Robert Williams together. The spacing doesn't work. But I think uh, Robert Williams, you could do way worse as a backup center. So if if he's not the most healthy, then it's not really too tough for the Blazers to kind of move on from that. Same thing with Brogdon. So really the picks, the collection of picks that they got from the Dame trade and the um, subsequent holiday trade, I think is really what is good for the Blazers and all of this. I'll start with the Celtics here and then come back to the Blazers and others. So if you're starting five for Boston, does, does holiday come in as the starting point and Derek white comes off the bench or do they shift is Porzingis going to be the five and Tatum at the four. And they kind of play a small ball with, Brown, White, and Drew Holiday all starting? I think it goes um, Porzingis and Horford, kind of interchangeable. That's your starting front court. And then you're probably going to go Holiday, Tatum, Brown. And Derek White will be your sixth man off the bench. And that's, he may be their only bench player. I'm looking at the Celtics and maybe not the most up-to-date depth chart. You mentioned they're top-heavy. It's a 
dynamite starting five. I think you're looking at the Celtics and the Bucks now, both from this trade, having the two best starting fives in the East. Just feel like the Bucks have a slightly better bench to help them out. Like you say, Porzingis is often hurt. I'm a huge Al Horford fan, but how much does he have left in the tank? You expect him to get beat up. I just worry the, about the legs on the Celtics in a 82-game season plus 30 games in the postseason. Yeah, that will kind of be the maneuvering that they'll have to do, but it's just like kind of what the Lakers do, kind of like what the Warriors do is like the regular season. And eh, who cares what seed we get? We know that if we have all of our top six guys healthy come uh, playoff time, we're going to be a pretty formidable out. And really, we just want to get into that top six so we can avoid the play-in tournament the one-and-done nonsense where anything can happen and really just get into the top six. And I don't think that should be much of a concern for Boston, Milwaukee, any of the other contending teams. Uh, But like you said, I mean, who knows what Horford has. And then I think there's strong potential that they could kind of switch out Horford and play kind of what you're talking about, a small ball lineup with Tatum at the four, Brown at the three, and then White and Holiday in the backcourt, and I think that works out pretty well. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's not a bad deal for the Celtics. Obviously, they think it, it puts them close to winning a championship, but yeah, I, that's kind of how I see their lineups shaking out. And on the Portland side of things, I'm a huge Malcolm Brogdon fan. I love the... I think he's a great locker room guy. I think the intangibles, the defense, the attitude, I think he's a good adult to have in the room if they are shipping out all these other guys. And we talked about it last week. Does Jeremy Grant stay around or do they get rid of him as well? Uh, that's that's what I wonder if Brogdon and Williams are there for the long haul or if they're going to flip those guys again. If a contender comes calling and they need some defense, go get Malcolm Brogdon. I'm not as familiar with Robert Williams other than being a backup big. I think they're good depth for, depth for the Blazers. Just not sure if they're going to stick around and then... Yeah, like you say, it's all about the draft picks and getting more young guys around them. I need to find an updated list of all the draft picks to see if the Blazers are contending with the Thunder and the Jazz for the most picks. Um, Robert Williams was a very... He was healthy, and that was the year the Celtics played the Warriors in the finals. And he was a huge part of that run. Uh, His interior defense, his athleticism and ability to like switch on to guards and stay with guards and, and things. That's really the value that he brings is kind of as an interior defender. And then Malcolm Brogdon, he can play off the ball or run plays for you in, in late game situations when he's healthy as well. But like you said, really it's his leadership. I don't think he's going to be in the starting lineup. Neither one of those guys are going to be starting lineup guys for Portland because you're going to run the young guys out there. But, you'll certainly kind of take that leadership and that experience that both those, those guys bring to the table. And conspiracy theory that I brought up last week. And I think a lot of fans are thinking this, how much of this is maybe this was the best offer on the table, but how much of it is the Blazers doing what they can to stick it to the Miami heat after way that all went down. Not only did they get what they wanted in return, you'd assume, but also they just made the East, they gave the two best teams in the East more talent and say, have fun, Miami. 
Yeah, I don't think it's any sort of a conspiracy thing. I mean, um, I know that Portland was asking for a lot from Miami, but the offers that Miami were, was sending back to Portland were pretty much insulting. So I think uh, I think Portland really did a good job to hold it out and get kind of the best deals and the best of both worlds because – I don't think if they had made a deal with Miami that they would have gotten a piece back like a Drew Holiday, they would have been able to then trade. Uh, sorry, I skipped over your question about Jeremy Grant, so I want to come back to that. Oh. I think I think Jeremy Grant is going to be moved at the trade deadline. He'll, he'll play with this Blazers team for the first half of the season, but trade deadline, Jeremy Grant, probably gone. Maybe Williams, maybe Brogdon. I don't know, but I think it's kind of load up on the picks, like you said, kind of the OKC model, and hope that your young backcourt kind of develops rather rapidly, and then you can just fill in the pieces around it. So this trade is not what caused the Jimmy Butler emo look. Uh, no, it's Jimmy Butler who caused the Jimmy Butler emo look. Uh, if you if you don't know what I'm talking about, go do a quick image search for emo Jimmy Butler. It is a sight to behold. Even as a big Jimmy Butler fan, I was, I didn't know how to feel. It was very, it was hilarious, but <laughs> I, I still don't like Jimmy Butler, but it was hilarious. So... Uh, anything else on this trade, how it impacts the NBA? The best in the East look like they got better. I still feel like both are better than the Sixers, who are mired in their own issues with James Harden. So I feel like we're looking at the... To me, it's the Bucks 1, Celtics 2, Sixers 3 right now in the East, and maybe the Heat at 4. Maybe. Yeah, uh, I think it's definitely a top 2 now. Are, I, I do wonder if either team are going to push it, and we'll get into this more in depth in a couple of weeks when we do a full-fledged NBA preview, but to either team really push it in the regular season or they're veteran-laden teams and they'll let those young guns go for the high seeds? No, really the se- regular season for both those teams is about getting the new pieces kind of integrated and developed and ready to go and kind of have the machine rolling by playoff time. The wins and the losses... I don't think the Bucks or the Celtics are going to be too focused on the on the wins or losses. Obviously, they'll want to win enough to be in the playoffs and be in the top six, like I said. But I think, just given the pieces that they have, I think that's almost a almost a guarantee. Like I won't one hundred percent guarantee it because things can go sideways, but it's it's pretty much a one hundred percent guarantee. Are we ready to talk about baseball? I'm very ready. The MLB playoffs are here. And just a quick side note, I've typically been anti-playoff expansion. You see what it does to stuff like the NBA where it drags on forever and even the NFL can feel watered down. I do like that they've added the extra teams. It makes the MLB regular season so much more exciting at the end. So many more games matter. You look at fans of the Rangers and the Astros and the Marlins and the Mariners and all these teams, whether they made it or not, they were in there at the end as opposed to the Rays and the Phillies who had the fourth wild the fourth spot, the first wild card locked up weeks ago, and it would have been just a limp to the finish. Now we have this exciting postseason push. We had our first couple of games today. Some went the way I wanted, some went against my picks. But gonna give you a quick rundown here, a, a rapid fire primer on each team. 
starting in the AL Baltimore Orioles, the surprising one seed, the Young Guns, they're here, Gunnar Henderson, Cedric Mullins, Adley Rutschman as your main hitters to know, Kyle Bradish, the star pitcher for them, a team that thrives on speed, base running, and their youth. Number two, the Houston Astros, who went from not not even in the postseason to now the two seed, just the way the cookie crumbles there. The same names we've all gotten to know, whether or not you love them or hate them. Jose Altuve, Michael Bregman, Michael Brantley, Jordan Alvarez, and then the pitching rotations, Fran Berfaldez and Justin Verlander leading the way there. So you have the the youthful Orioles and the seasoned Astros. Number three, the feel-good story, the Texas Rangers, second in batting average, third in scoring, the veterans, Corey Seager and Marcus Semien, huge deals they shut up. Uh, Shelled out for those guys a couple of years ago, and they are paying dividends. You add that to the young guys, Dolas Garcia, and especially Josh Jung, the breakout star for them. The Toronto Blue Jays, the best ERA, and this the second-generation team we like to talk about. Bo Bichette, Vlad Jr., Kevin Biggio, all these guys whose fathers played in the majors. They've been together this core for a couple of years. Always seem to be in the postseason hunt. If you're me, you're hoping they finally get over the hump this year. Got the veteran George Springer and then a lights-out pitching rotation led by Kevin Gosman and uh, Jose Barrios, along with Yusei Kikuchi. Number five, the Tampa Bay Rays. The best run differential in the American League, which is a stat that I love when I'm looking at teams, led by Randy Rosarina and Yandy Diaz. Tyler Glass, now the main pitcher for them. And then the Twins, who today broke their was it 18-game postseason losing streak. Team that really thrives on the pitching. Uh, Carlos Cray and Max Kepler are kind of the two best hitters, but they're currently dealing with a lot of injuries to their main batters. So they're going to rely on Sonny Gray in the rotation. The team that shelled out uh, have one of the best American League ERAs. So it's a very quick rundown of your six teams in the AL. So we can start here with our two wildcard series, Rays and Rangers or Twins and Jays. Where do you want to begin? Let's start with the Rays and the Rangers because I I actually, you know, I'm coming with some informed baseball opinions, which is usually like not the case because I, I've i been watching a little more baseball and, and betting on a lot of baseball, for being honest. <laughs> so it's helped, it's helped inform my opinions of, these guys um the the rays made a lot of errors today i think they set a franchise record for errors or maybe i think they had four or five errors in the game today uh in a game that they lost 4-0 and that was with glass now on the mound and glass now was pretty good it was just the errors from the defense behind him that gave up those runs and um that was a disastrous performance for the rays I think you're I think you're flipped around. I think the Rays are the road team. Uh, the Rangers are the road team and the Rays were at home. So that made the loss all the more stunning to me. Um but I I really feel like the Rangers are kind of hot and cold, Jekyll and Hyde. Um I think they were one of the best teams in baseball before the All-Star break and they've been like one of the worst after the All-Star break. Uh, so you don't really know what Rangers are going to get, and we got the good ones today. I still think, though, even though down they're down 1-0, um, it, tomorrow's kind of a dangerous spot for them, obviously, because these are three-game series, right? Three yeah, we go. Series, wild card. Yeah, three games and then five and then 7-7. Seven, seven. I, I, I mean, before today, I would have said Rays run away with this thing, but... Um, Tomorrow, Eovaldi on the mound. I think, I think the Rangers are are going for the two zero sweep here. I, 
the the rays of the team that scare me something about these florida teams i'll talk more about this when i get to the marlins but win ugly a lot of time feels like the way they do things neither one of these teams i really trust the pitching all that much people smarter than me say that the rangers have the worst rotation in the postseason and then the rays without uh sandy alcantara they're main pitcher it's it's a lot of weight on Tyler Glass now and you can only really throw him once in this series now that they've used up their best arm I I could see a high scoring series here the rest of the way you have the the Rangers who can mash and just score in bunches so I I think we're going to go three games but I do have to give a tip of the hat to the Rangers here in a in a close series that yeah may not be the most exciting matchup on paper but if you just want to watch offensive baseball and learn some new teams Rays Rangers should have it in abundance yeah, I think you're spot on there. Um, although it wasn't the most offensive game today, I mean, the errors were offensive. <laughs> the baseball fans, but that's about it. Um, yeah, we can flip to Twins. And you've got the Twins, the lowly Twins, who never win in the postseason. Here they come, do it to my beloved Toronto Blue Jays, my adopted favorite team. It's a it's a similar situation for me with the Jays, they're going to need to score runs. They have all the bats to do it. Weirdly, it's been that pitching staff with Gosman, especially having a fantastic season and Barrios bouncing back. Both of these teams have the pitchers to do it. I just think the Jays have the bats that they can get going. I know that the, I know that Toronto likes to make the postseason and stumble early. It's been their MO the last couple of years, but I refuse to jump off this bandwagon both of these teams have the pitching. I just don't trust the Twins to have the bats, even in a three-game series, to hang with Toronto. I mean, if Royce Lewis is going to hit multiple home runs in every game, then I guess the Twins are going to win the World Series. Because <laughs> he had a two-run homer and a solo shot, and that was all th- that accounted for all three of the Twins' runs today. And then Pablo Lopez was the guy on the mound for the twins and he was excellent i mean he i think he pitched um seven shutout innings and then you flip over to sunny gray tomorrow i know the jays have a lot of bats uh but they're really they're really up against it really the only question is kind of what you talked about is can the twins get enough run support for their excellent pitching staff and if Sonny Gray is going to put on a good performance, kind of like Pablo Lopez did. Then I overall like the three starters that I'm getting from the Twins, and I think uh, I think the Twins are taking this thing down tomorrow. Ooh, I can't. Hurts my heart to hear that. Uh, so sorry to Rays and Jays fans because it's <laughs> it's almost it's almost midnight for you. As, as great as the AL East was all season, it, that's part of my thing with the Twins. They won the Central, which is, they're like the 13th best team in the majors, but the AL Central is so bad that they got in by default. And I'm sure Mariners fans love to hear that as they had a better record, just lost out on the wild card because their division was so much better. There's just nothing special about the Twins for me, and maybe maybe that'll get exposed in the next round if they were to get past this team, and then the Astros are there waiting for you. Like even the Brewers, I don't love the Brewers offense, but that pitching is so special. What is special about your team? The Orioles, it's the youth and the speed. There's one special thing. To me, the Twins don't have that one signature elite thing that a lot of these other contenders do. No, and I don't really view the Twins as contenders or anything. I just think uh, when it comes to playoff anything, baseball, 
basketball, football, it's really more about the matchups. And I really like the matchups of the Twins pitching staff versus the Jays, especially tomorrow. I think the Jays might be kind of pressing it a little bit down in a hole, 0-1, a little bit of desperation. And that's when a, a good pitcher like Sonny Gray can really work well, I think. Well, let's talk about those two teams we haven't gotten to yet. The Orioles, the one, and the Astros as the two. Orioles winning the East, a historic year for them, getting 100 wins, a team that no, nobody really expected anything out of. Maybe they'd be in the middle of the division at best, and here they are winning the AL East. And then, once again, the Astros just holding court over the AL West, and they've been, I think it's four World Series in the last seven years as much as we may not like them, they've been the most consistent team in the American League, if not all of baseball, depending on how you feel about the Dodgers. I don't love the Astros, but I don't see any team that's better than them coming through this. They've got all those guys that we mentioned coming back. So much experience. I think Fran Valdez is set up to be lights out in this postseason, maybe the most dangerous arm in the American League. It's, it, I No matter who they face, I'm picking Orioles and Astros to play in the ALCS as much as I am not excited about it. So wherever this shakes out, I, I have to go with the top two seeds. Yeah, if I'm if I'm picking Rangers and Twins, then yeah, I'm definitely picking the Orioles and the Astros. I think the Orioles consistency against either the Rangers or the Rays will be proved to be good. And in the Orioles have been a wagon for me in betting on baseball. I've been betting on the Orioles run line, Orioles money line, Orioles, you know. Betting on the Orioles' bats a lot. I mean, you didn't mention Anthony Santander. He's been incredible as well this season. Um, if there's any chink in the armor for the Orioles that gives me a little bit of pause, it's the bullpen. Their bullpen has given up some games, and they don't really have a lot of consistency there. You kind of need that in the postseason. Um, so I'm a little bit nervous about the Baltimore bullpen, and that's what I think will ultimately be their undoing against the Astros. So. If that gives anything away, unfortunately, I think we're looking at the Astros winning the ALCS against a Baltimore team. I'll be cheering for Baltimore, but I just think Houston will ultimately overcome. Yeah, nobody will be cheering for Houston outside of the city of Houston. I think they're still the most hated team, no matter how much people don't like the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Mets. think the Astros are still the most despised team, and the problem is they're so good. They're probably the smart pick. But I just I want to go with a little engine that could that is the Orioles with all those young guys and this this feel good story. It is just terrifying that the Astros can you know Christian Javier can be your fourth pitcher. Oh, and then the the bullpen is fantastic as well. All these different arms they can throw at you, Ryan Presley and company there. I, smart pick is the Astros, but just for the sake of some new blood, I'm going with the Orioles. I like it. Um yeah, I really like it. I mean, it's not far-fetched, um, just given how the Orioles have been in the regular season. If some of that or any of that car- carries over to postseason, their offense is absolutely lit it up at times. So you talk about all these arms the Astros have. The Orioles might be just young enough to just not really care enough to be like, hey, we should we should win this. So it's so a little bit of like an Oklahoma City Thunder young team with uh Westbrook, Durant and Harden just being young and right. young enough and dumb enough to not really understand that they shouldn't be in the game. 
and make the finals. So, and yeah, I, I'm I'm cheering for the Orioles here. I don't know if this means anything, but the Astros are sub 500 at home, but they're one of one of only three teams to have 50 plus road wins this year. The other two are the Braves and the Orioles. I don't I don't know how much stock. I think that's a little bit overrated in sports as the home field advantage at the pro level. This is just curious to me that Houston is better on the road than they are at home. Yeah, that's uh, not something you see too often, I don't think. All right, we'll go down to the National League here. Starting with the Braves at number one, 104 wins this year, easily the best team in the regular season, and they are scary good. Best batting average, most runs they can score at will. Matt Olson and Ronald Acuna Jr. are basically fighting with each other for the MVP in the National League. Then you had an Austin Riley, Spencer Strider, who's fast becoming one of my favorite pitchers and the best baseball facial hair since Dennis Eckersley. He should be the NL Cy Young with his strikeout numbers. And then they also have Max Fried and company to back him up. So the Braves are scary good. The Dodgers, same old LA Dodgers. You kind of know what you're going to get with them. Second in runs this year. Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts, Clayton Kershaw, all the usual names still there. Max Muncie a little bit down for them. If they're going to have a shot, I think he has to bounce back. The wonderfully named Bruce Dar Gratterall out of the bullpen. And then Evan Phillips, one of the best closers in the National League. The Brewers, a team that you don't really love the offense, but you love the pitching. The worst batting average among the teams in the postseason, but the best ERA and the fewest total runs allowed. That whole crew there, it feels like they've been together for a long time. That's one of the nice things about the Brewers. Felt like they built from the inside and have this nice core. Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta, and Wade Miley is a scary rotation to go up against. So you have to bet on them if it was a pitching contest. Christian Yelich is really the the big bat for them. Willie Adamas and some of these other guys are coming on strong, but Yelich having a great bounce back season. My preseason pick, the Phillies. Kind of concerns me that they don't really have anything that's special, but you've still got the big names, Bryce Harper, Trey Turner, Kyle Schwarber, and Nick Castellanos leading the way. And I think the rotation is a little underappreciated, but on you know, when you look at the numbers, there's just nothing about the Phillies that really pops off the page like you have with the Braves or the Brewers. Uh, and we've got the Arizona Diamondbacks, another feel-good story like the Orioles and the Rangers. I'm concerned in a negative run differential for them, which is a number that I always look at, and they also have the worst ERA of the team still in it. Corbin Carroll, a great coming out party for him this year. Zach Gallen, one of the best pitchers. Merrill Kelly having a great season. And Cattell Marti, one of the longstanding Diamondbacks, finally getting his due, getting some postseason. And then the Marlins, the worst offense, if you want to think uh, lowest scoring team, I guess you should say. Fewest runs scored this year and the worst run differential, but they still have Louisa Rise, the Perhaps the best contact hitter, I think 354 batting average in the regular season. So if, it's, if the MVP is not going to go to one of those Braves, Arise is going to be the the pick. And then Jorge Soler, a name that Cubby fans may remember, it's kind of the other big bat for them. So we start off with Phillies Marlins in the wild card and the Brewers Diamonds backs are two matchups that we've got going on. Yeah, um, let's let's go ahead and start with uh Brewers and and uh, Diamondbacks. I'm watching it unfold right now. Uh, you just talked up the pitching, and the Diamondbacks have hit three solo shots off of Corbin Burns. Still, and they're up four three in the fourth inning. So, uh, and Woodruff is out. So I think it's kind of it's kind of scary hours for the Brewers currently. Just giving off. I have the advantage of seeing the situation if 
we had doing the, been doing this yesterday, I would have looked at it and <laughs> said, yeah, the, the Brewers pitching staff would be enough to get them through this wild card round. But I really think that if uh, the Brewers blow it tonight, I don't know if they're going to get swept. I think they'll probably bounce back. But I, I think the Diamondbacks have a real shot in this series. I love Corbin Carroll, Tell Marte. Um, not as sold on the Diamondbacks pitching staff, but like you said, you got to have something special or a special player. And I think, I think Corbin Carroll, Christian Walker, Tell Marte, I think those are are some special players that the Diamondbacks have, and they can light it up offensively as we're seeing tonight because each one of them has hit a solo shot off of uh off of Corbin Burns and then Gabriel Moreno went solo as well. So four solo home runs off Corbin Burns. Uh that'll get it done most of the time. So I I like the Diamondbacks over the Brewers and uh that'll be especially sweet because I'm a Cubs fan, so it's awesome. Um and then Phillies, Marlins, I'm not falling for the playing dead trick that the Phillies did last year and they've got Trey Turner in that Gene Segura spot I I really like this Phillies team if Aaron Nola can be consistent then I think they've got the pitching staff to make a run similar to last year now they're gonna have to go through the Braves uh, but I think Phillies Braves is gonna be one heck of a divisional series yeah I not to put the cart before the horse, but I think the three best teams are the Phillies, the Braves, and the Dodgers. And it's just unfortunate they have to take each other out before we get to the World Series. I'm with you on the Phillies. I, all that talent, they were my pick before the year. It was just getting the pitching staff going. Could Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler and all those guys bring things together to match the offense? Uh, and Taiwan Walker also in there. Don't want to leave him out. The Brewers and the Diamondbacks, I picked the Brewers because it we don't talk about the Brewers, I feel like, as a consistent team because they have not made the World Series, but they've been in the postseason every year since 2018. They've kind of quietly, consistently, and mostly with the pitching, been getting into the postseason, usually by winning the Central, and then they lose early. I think they only have one series win in that run. 2018 won in the divisional round against the Rockies, but they are just consistently in the postseason and then lose in the first round. So I'm very trepidatious about picking the Brewers because I've been burned so many times. It's kind of like the Blue Jays. They get in every year and then they lose early. I just, I don't know that the Diamondbacks have enough firepower to hang with the Brewers. Either way, I think either team's going to get smoked by the Dodgers. It Maybe we get to five games in one of those series, but I think the Dodgers roll over the Brewers or the Diamondbacks. If we get Phillies Braves, I think that's a fun series. I think that one goes the distance and could be fireworks with the division rivals. Uh, if I had it in front of me, I could figure out how they did in the regular season. Maybe I'll have time to pull that up before we're done here. But I think we're looking at Braves, Phillies, Dodgers, Brewers, and then Braves, Dodgers in the NLCS. Yeah, and I'm going to go ahead and say that the Phillies are going to pull it out over the Braves. I like it. I like you're you're bold enough. I I was too nervous. Yeah i I've got a Phillies Dodgers uh, NLCS and. I'm taking the Phillies to go back. Ooh, I like the confidence. Yeah, I'm I'm really thinking that Schwarber, Harper, and Turner, um, all those guys are going to heat up at the right time. And I think that's 
three guys that are going to absolutely roll at the right time. And Noah, I think Noah is going to figure things out. And that's going to be uh, the Phillies having two ace pitchers. And that's going to be better than what the Braves can bring because they have, they have Spencer Strider, but I'm not really sure about the rotation for the Braves after Strider. And Strider has had some off games too. Um, He's given up some runs. Maybe his arms wearing down because the Braves have been kind of reliant on him in a lot of, a lot of places. So I'm not, I'm not too sure about uh, the Braves pitching staff. And I think the Julio Urias uh, loss, which rightfully so that he's not playing baseball anymore because of what we've learned about him. But um, I think that is, that is going to be, have a huge impact because I don't think Kershaw, I mean, he's, he's a little bit older and he's had some struggles in the playoffs other than the one year the Dodgers broke through one at all. Um, but I, I really don't want to put a lot of trust into the Dodgers pitching staff and their bats have gone cold at times. So give me the Phillies coming out of the NL and I realize that I have now picked a rematch of last year's World Series, but I'm I'm kind of riding Phillies the whole way. I was trying to count really quick here. So the the Phillies are five and eight against the Braves during the regular season. That that may not mean anything, but I had it pulled up, so I wanted to count. I I picked the Phillies before the season, and I I would be more than thrilled if they get the job done. I even think I picked the Dodgers in some other places since we've done this just because they've, they've been there, they know how to win, they've got a lot of those guys who have been around. I just think some of their familiar faces are slumping a little bit. You know, I think I mentioned Max Muncy earlier, a little bit more out of Muncy and some of the other guys. Like, Kind of forget that Jason Hayward and J.D. Martinez are still playing, and they're both starting for the Dodgers. So they need some more out of those veterans, you know, guys like Will Smith as well, David Peralta to step up and have those hero moments. Then I'd have a little more faith in the Dodgers. I'm going to go with the Braves. I, I like Max Freed as a second arm behind Spencer Strider. And it's, it is super boring. And I have some numbers here that I looked up that make me nervous that I do have the one seed versus the one seed, which has only happened twice since 2013, 2013 and 2020. We had the one seeds play each other in the postseason. I think you just have so much more room for error and volatility with the six teams making it instead of four. So I think we have a far more wide open. But to put a bow on it, I'm going. I'm going Braves over Orioles in the World Series. Okay, I'm going Phillies over uh, Astros in the World Series. I think the Astros are actually the yeah, the Astros are the two seed and the Phillies are the three seed. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes. But uh, Phillies yeah. are the four. Phillies are the four. Oh yeah, because they got to take on the Braves, who are the obvious ones lead. Um, yeah. Um, give me the give me the Phillies, the four seed, coming through from the wild card spot and getting it done. I think, um, Bryce Harper kind of does his thing and wins the uh, World Series MVP. You've got the Phillies winning it. Got the Phillies winning it. I think Castellanos has his moments as well, uh, along the way, and then obviously plenty from. Schwarber and Turner. That's really what I'm counting on by picking the Phillies is uh, all those guys, those big bats that they have to heat up all at the right time. And I think they're more than capable of doing it. So 
give me them. And now that's what the Phillies did last year. We have such short memories. The Phillies were the sixth seed last year, got hot at the right time, snuck into the postseason. And then when they had their shot, they went on a run. Right. Yep. And I'm I'm calling it out. Nobody really saw it coming last year, so maybe people can kind of maybe see it coming this year, and that's why it won't happen, but I'm going to pick it anyways. I Not that I'm questioning it. I just like history. I'm trying to scroll back to see the last time we had back-to-back World Series matchups, and unless I missed something, it was 77-78 Yankees-Dodgers. We've had, we've had a lot of the same teams in the last couple of years, but they've just kind of missed each other. It's been a lot of a lot of Astros, a lot of Dodgers, uh, kind of the two main ones, but some familiar faces, but not back-to-back. So it'd be a fun you know, streak to break to have a back-to-back matchup in the World Series. I'm picking Phillies-Astros, but I'm really wanting Phillies-Orioles would be the ideal matchup. I, I we, we didn't talk about that much, so I'll use this as a segue. We have a, a weird dichotomy in the postseason. Granted, you're going to get this to happen when you have 12 teams instead of eight. There's, I like that we have the the small market teams in here. Looking at Baltimore has the 28th payroll, the Rays 27th, Marlins 22nd, Diamondbacks 21st, Brewers 29th, uh, Twins 16th. Sure, there's you have the Phillies and the Dodgers and the Rangers and the Astros who are paying an arm and a leg. But the Mets, the Yankees, and the Padres, those billion-dollar rosters all sitting at home, not making it. I think it's more fun to have the diversity and get these new teams in here. You're, the Diamondbacks, the Rangers, those teams in here that you don't you, – we haven't had in the postseason in a while. I think it makes it a lot more fun than just seeing the Yankees and Red Sox every year. I would agree with you. Uh, yeah, I, I like it that it, we aren't just – seeing the teams that spent the most money in the playoffs. Um, yeah, and looking at that, the, the last time, so I'm seeing if you can guess which little impromptu trivia, the last time one of these teams won the World Series. Now, spoiler, the Brewers, the Rangers, and the Rays have never actually won it. So who has the longest World Series drought amongst the teams still playing? Amongst the teams still playing? Yep. Oh. So oh, I should know this. Sorry, sorry, Mary, um, you're not counted. Right. Um, we're talking both. Man, uh, would it be Minnesota, the Twins? You're close. They So they were last in it in 91. Yep. And there's one team who goes farther back. Who's actually won it? Hmm. It's not the Marlins and it's not the Phillies. So it's gotta be it's gotta be uh I don't think the Oh, is it the Diamondbacks? It is not. It's gotta be the Brewers then. So the Brewers last made the World Series in eighty two. They've never actually won it. That's and, right. You just and that, 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 that relatively decorated history of the Brewers, they only have one World Series appearance and they lost in 82. However, this team made it and won in 1983 for their... I mean, they have four, no, three World Series titles. They just haven't won one since 83. 
Oh, is it the Phillies then? The Baltimore Orioles. Baltimore. So you've got, got the or- the Orioles in 83. The Astros won it in 2022. Rangers and Rays have never won it. The Jays in 93 and the Twins in 91. So, I, well, the Jays, so Twins 91 and then the Jays had 92, 93. And Braves and Dodgers won it in 21 and 20. The Brewers have never won it. Phillies in 2008, Diamondbacks 2001, and Marlins 2003. So there's a lot of long droughts we could break in there. That's why I don't want to pick the Braves or the Dodgers or the Astros. They just feel like the safe picks. Right. They do feel like the safe picks, and that's why I'm picking someone else. So, but yeah, it would be cool for uh, either, well, not the Brewers. I don't want the Brewers to win anything. <laughs> um, but the Rangers, the Rays, the Orioles, especially the Orioles, I think I'd be the, the most okay with them breaking through and winning it. But, uh, if not, then probably give me the Phillies. I think those are just the two most likable teams remaining and in the postseason. Just other random World Series facts. The last 10 World Series, five from the AL, five from the NL. Seven of the 10 have been a one or a two seed. We had a three seed, a four seed, and a five seed all coming out of the National League. In the American League, a one or two seed has made it all but 2014, and the NL is way more pandemonium. You've had a one, two, three, four, five, and a six all make the World Series from the National League in the last 10 years. Perfect. That's so. why I've got the <laughs> I've got the two seed and the four seed. That's, that's perfect. Yeah, I don't I don't know if any of that means anything, but when you're a history nerd like me, it's just fun to look up. Uh, anything else in the baseball side we need to get to before we get a little bit of football here at the end? Uh, no, let's let's move on to some football. So it is it is spooky season. Halloween is upon us. So I want to ask Andrew a couple of quick questions on teams he's going to resurrect from the dead. Are we going to bring back some zombies? Before we get to that, I want to do a quick rundown of some fantasy football players four weeks in. Is four weeks enough time to maybe make some declarations on fantasy players, whether or not they're worth dropping? If you came into the season excited about somebody. Yeah, I'd say we're we're really close to that time. I mean, if they've considering that they if they've played all four games, that's kind of the caveat that I'll throw in there. Okay. If you have four games of data to judge a player on, then I think that's a pretty good set of data to yeah. make some reasonable assumptions. Well, I think this will get a little bit more juicy when we get into the skill positions, but as with all things NFL, we'll start with the quarterbacks. A lot here that I don't think really surprises me. There's one name, though, and that's Joe Burrow. If, if Joe Burrow is your quarterback, are you in any way dropping him? He's 92nd in actual performance right now. And I know every league is different, but in the one that I'm looking at, that standard scoring, he has 37 points through four games. I know he's been injured, but most of your good quarterbacks are well over 60 points in the season. Yeah, it really depends on what kind of things you have available on the waiver wire in those leagues. I mean, if you're talking a two-quarterback league, I'm not dropping him. We're talking one quarterback standard. Yep. 10 team. Are we talking 10 team? Yeah, 10, 12. One quarterback, though, no super flex. 
Yeah, and you're assuming that other people haven't drafted backup quarterbacks? Because mm. that's kind of the that's kind of the caveat there. Yeah, it, let's let's say that if you can only carry one quarterback, is it worth it to drop Burrow for let's say C.J. Stroud or Sam Howell, who may be sitting out there? I would flip uh, Burrow for C.J. Stroud today if I had the option. There you go. Um, just given the way that C.J. Stroud has looked through these first four games, um, I think he's. I think he's good and he doesn't have a very daunting schedule because the Bengals won the division. They have to play the top teams and other divisions in the crossover games, as well as their own division, who is not a cakewalk by any means. Um, because we know that the Ravens and the Browns are good teams. The Steelers, I don't think are a good team, um, but by no means a cakewalk. I would rather have Stroud who gets chances at the Jaguars, the Colts, the um, the Titans as well. I, I just think that uh, the Texans have some easier matchups. And so I would probably, I'd probably take CJ Stroud over Burrow at this point. Well, let me give you a triumvirate of names a little further down the pecking order than Joe Burrow. But if you're, if you're looking to fill your quarterback position, are you better riding with one of these guys or Looking at a waiver wire, Daniel Jones, Russell Wilson, Matthew Stafford, all on Yahoo between about 50 and 65% rostered. Uh, Russell Wilson scoring way more, but still a lot of people, a lot of leagues he's available. So am I, am I looking at any of those three or is it time to maybe cut bait and look towards a, like we mentioned CJ Stroud or a Sam Howell, or maybe even like a Kenny Pickett. Uh, no one Kenny Pickett um, wouldn't, wouldn't touch that with a 10 foot pool. I forgot he's injured. Uh, yeah, well, still, even if he wasn't, I wouldn't. Um, I'd rather, I'd rather have Jordan Love, um, personally. And then I think there's two out of those three names that you originally mentioned that I'd cut, and that's uh, Russell Wilson and Daniel Jones. I'd still stay on Stafford. I think there's enough there with Cup coming back this week and uh, the emergence of Puka Nakua, Tutu Atwell to a lesser extent, I think there's enough um, receiving talent around Stafford and the Rams are going to be in a position where they're going to be throwing a lot because, again, they're not a good team. They're going to be behind in ball games a lot. I think Stafford's going to be putting up decent numbers for you. So I would keep Stafford, but I'm ready to cut bait with those other two quarterbacks. Uh, speaking of, I owe an apology to Puka Nakua. I thought he was maybe a flash in the pan week one, you know, weird things happen in week one. He, I watched a lot of their game on Sunday and he is a very good, I did not realize how massive he was. And I'm i I'm buying into the Puka Nakua hype now. As you very well should, because we know about cups injury history, we think he's going to come back and that could be a really good receiving core. If cup comes back and he's able to integrate and kind of be the player that he was with Puka Nakua emerging and, You've got Atwell. I really like the receiving core that the Rams have, um, the top three receivers there. But, yeah, I think the Puka Nakua thing, uh, we've seen enough through four games to believe in him and that it's real and that Cup coming back isn't going to – he might get a few less points for you. I don't think he's going to maybe explode in the same way, but 
I think he'll still be a startable wide receiver. You would feel good about him as your maybe second best wide receiver in your team still. Let's talk about those wide receivers here quick. I just want to pull a couple names. I think through four games, it's fair to say a receiver 300 yards and, and or a touchdown should be expected when you look at the guys who are at the top of the heap. There's one name that stands out to me, Jamar Chase, 284 yards, no touchdowns. Is are we? Would we be willing to part ways with Jamar Chase, or is that being silly this early? Uh, no, we would never part ways with Jamar Chase. I know I just said part ways with Joe Burrow, but there's a chance that um, Joe Burrow rebounds, gets healthier as the season progresses, um, and Jamar Chase is going to be a big part of that. If Joe Burrow is going to rebound at all, which he'll have to for the Bengals to come back from the dead. Um, yeah, you're not, for where you drafted Jamar Chase, you're not giving up on him probably all season. And a guy that I don't know that a lot of people think about, but looking at the top 25 receivers heading into the season based on their rankings, a guy that's 120th right now in actual numbers only 31 points Amari Cooper the Browns have been sneaky good but they seem to be doing it more with defense and figuring out Jerome Ford we sticking with Amari Cooper uh probably probably sticking with Amari Cooper um I mean it really depends on who you can go get right um Puka Nakua probably not available I don't know who some other names would be out there that are maybe available. Um, so for, for example, I, the, the league I'm in, like Marvin Mims is weirdly having a good season, about 16 more points so far. Denver's offense feels like a huge question mark though, or, or your guy, Jaden Reed out of green Bay, very similar numbers to Amari Cooper. Yeah. I probably wouldn't go Jaden Reed because Christian Watson's going to come back and that's going to take away from Jaden Reed, although Jaden Reed's been a, a decent wide receiver in the early going. Um, I'm more looking at, like, you know, if a guy like Quentin Johnston is out there, or can you grab Jamison Williams if somebody didn't stash him and take a flyer on him? Marvin Mims, that's another name you mentioned. I don't think I would take any of those guys over Amari Cooper, though. I think eventually Amari Cooper is going to start lighting it up more, and he's going to have to if uh, if uh, the Browns are going to make any sort of a serious run at the playoffs. Uh, we'll move over here to the running backs. A couple, again, the top 25 have them sorted by their preseason ranking. There's one guy that I'll hold on for a minute here, but grouping them together, Josh Jacobs, Austin Eckler, Reese Hall. Are we are, uh, we are we rethinking having those guys as our RB one? Jacobs potentially, although I think he's going to have a nice week this week. Unfortunately, because Green Bay run defense is not good, um, so this might be Josh Jacobs' week. And then Eckler, I mean, we all know what he is when he's in the game, and I think he will you know, eventually be back. I think this week is probably a good chance that he's back. I, I'm i not giving up on Eckler through four weeks just because of the injury. Uh, because when he's back, 
he's an automatic fire it up RB one. And then the third guy that you mentioned, Brees Hall, I have a little bit more concern, but my concern is not the talent. It's more the, that they refuse to give up on Dalvin cook in New York. Um, as somebody who's currently rostering Dalvin cook, I keep waiting for something to happen there. But uh, yeah, uh, the something that should happen is that Delvin Cook should never see the light of day and Brees Hall should get 25 touches a game. Um, but that's that's not how it's working, unfortunately. So, um, but I, uh, I mean, I'm, I, again, based off where you're drafting him and I think his usage, I think, again, they're probably being careful with Brees Hall coming off the A's. ACL injury they don't want to you know they don't want to get him injured because I mean if they thought they were going to be a playoff team I don't think they are any longer um, definitely not but I think Brees Hall's usage will probably if there was one that I, I was forced to pick to cut bait with if you're forcing me to pick one of those three it's probably Brees Hall and that's, like you say, if you're going to cut them, who's available? I'm looking at some of the guys who are not rostered in that many leagues. Josh Kelly with the Chargers is right around 50% rostered. Roshan Johnson with the Bears. Kenneth Gainwell seems to be available a lot of place. I Just like you say, if you're going to cut them, who do you replace them with? That's right. I who's made, who's some, it's tough to find, you know, unless your league is really not attentive managers, it's really hard to find guys on the waiver wire. Like a Kenneth Gainwell is going to have a hot hand and he'll have two touchdown games and then not score for six weeks. Cause just the way the Eagles operate. Exactly. Exactly. That's, I don't think you really cut three to any of them because I, uh, like you said, the replacements are not very good and Kelly is only good. If Eckler's out, then Kelly's worth essentially nothing. If Eckler's in the ball game. So the moral of the story is don't panic too much through four weeks, unless you're like me who was relying on Nick Chubb and Aaron Rodgers, and now you are scrambling to find anything. Um, yeah, you're. If you're in that situation, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm, I'm going Portland Trailblazer. I'm just stocking draft picks for the next season. Yeah, you better. Well, the Blazers aren't even going to be as bad as your team might be if you're <laughs> in that scenario. Has anybody ever gone winless in fantasy football while trying? I'm, Gonna try to make. I don't know about that, but you would have to have some really bad luck. You'll you'll sneak out at least one win this season. So Counting I don't know what the rest weeks. of your I don't know what the rest of your lineup looks like, but you're probably uh, you're probably sneaking out at least one win this season. You might even come back yet. There's hope for you if you're zero and four. Don't throw in the towel yet. All right. So the the last guy I wanted to ask about. If you're like me and you thought you were clever getting Jonathan Taylor, what do we do with Jonathan Taylor? Ooh. If he's playing top five running back in the league, but is he going to go Le'Veon Bell and miss the whole season? I, I yeah. feel like there's other managers like me who are like, well, I'm giving up a roster spot to this guy. Is he ever going to play? Because I don't want to cut him. And then the next day he suits up. Well, it's kind of like, the Jacobs situation from last year, though, where there was talks, except he actually, except Taylor actually held out and Jacobs didn't, um, where there's motivation to, 
actually play, show your value, get a contract from either the Colts or another team. Um, I think there's strong trade potential still because we haven't passed the deadline yet. Um, but I do think Taylor suits up for the Colts and shows that he's still ready to go and then is maybe traded in in a couple weeks. So that's kind of the risk is where does he get traded to? Um, I, yeah, I, that I'm not sure on, but I, again, I think you probably didn't invest a whole lot. At least I hope you didn't in Jonathan Taylor. I hope he was your, you know, fourth running back off the board on your team. If you're looking at your team. I hope he was your RB four. If that's the case, it's worth holding on to. Oh, let's pretend that was the case for all of us. Uh, RB3, I mean, that's <laughs> fine. It's a little bit more risky. But um, like we just talked about, there's not a lot to replace him with. And, you know, take up a bench spot and just kind of see, monitor the news, kind of see how it goes. Um because, like you said, if he is in, then you just got a steal of a draft pick. At however late you probably got him. All right. One more quick question here. NFL-related. Get Andrew's take on this. Find some NFL zombies for spooky season. Of the teams that are 1-3, which are you going to resurrect from the dead to have a shot at the playoffs? You've got the Patriots, the Bengals. The Raiders, the Broncos, the Giants, the Vikings, and now we're not we're not going to throw Arizona in there. Are you are you are you going to bring back any of these teams from the depths to at least have a playoff shot? Any of the one in three teams. So Patriots, no. Jets, no. I already assumed the Jets were. I figured their win was kind of a fluke anyway. Right. Patriots and Jets, we can cross off. Broncos, we can cross them off. Raiders, we can cross them off. The Giants, I am... Hold that thought. Cardinals, yeah, we can probably cross them off. So that really leaves us with Bengals and the Giants. And Vikings. Bengals, Giants, Vikings. And and Vikings. (laughs) Uh, Probably cross off the Giants. So it's really a Bengals-Vikings question. If I have to kind of pick one, man, this is not fun. Um, Quickly looking up schedules for both the Bengals and the Vikings. So let's, let's see. At Arizona for the Bengals, I think that's definitely a place you need to win, but the next three games are Seattle at home. Seattle's looked pretty good. Um, I mean, so much of this is the health of Joe Burrow, right? But the next three games after playing Arizona for Cincinnati are Seattle, San Francisco, at San Francisco, Buffalo uh, at home, and then Houston. You got to think they would have to win the Arizona and Houston games at Baltimore, home versus Pittsburgh. 
essentially what I'm say- seeing here is I don't really see it with the one and three hole and the kind of tough upcoming schedule. I really think week six, week eight, week nine are all losses for Cincinnati. And then you're really, you're looking at two and six. Then you have to kind of go Aaron Rodgers run the table style. And I just don't think the Burroughs hat, um, the Bengals have it. So I'm going to have to take Minnesota just simply based off what I think the schedule is here. They have Kansas city this week. So that's very likely a loss. So they will drop to one and four. Then they're at Chicago, probably going to win that. They play San Francisco. Man, can I just say none of these teams? <laughs> I That is a very not, real possibility. Now that I'm looking at it, I mean, because uh, they have home games. The Vikings have home game, a home game with the Chiefs in week five, a home game with the Niners in week seven. Uh, they're at the Bears in week six, and they'll, they'll probably smoke the Bears, to be honest, because the Bears are one of the worst teams in professional sports. Uh, at Green Bay, week eight, that's a loss. At Atlanta, that's probably another loss. Home against New Orleans, they could probably win that. At Denver, um, home against the Bears. So I've got them, what, two wins, two wins against the, so two wins through week nine uh, with a bye week in there. So they're two and six, but then they have New Orleans at home. I think they can win that. I think they can beat Denver. I think they can beat the Bears again. I think they can beat Las Vegas on the road. So then we're looking at six and six, and then comes a game with Cincinnati in week 15. Um, That might be that might be interesting because the Vikings and the Bengals could both be in a spot where they need desperately need that win in order to stay playoff relevant. Um, and then they end their they end their season with a week 16 game at home against Detroit, a week 17 game at home against Green Bay, who might need that for playoff positioning themselves, and then week 18 at Detroit and. Given the way Detroit has looked in their schedule, I think Detroit might be taking the week off there. So I I'm gonna say none ultimately of those one and three teams make it. But if I had to pick one, I'll probably I'd probably take Minnesota. Now they they do feel like the safe bet. I think they could be looking at nine and eight by the end of the season to just think losing both the Buccaneer and the Chargers game. That one game could make a big difference with as tight as the NFC is looking if teams like Detroit are the real deal and Dallas and Philly both look legit. Seattle and San Fran look legit. So there's five spots right there and somebody has to come out of the South. So there's six spots. So you're going to be in that jumbled mess trying to get that seventh spot. And I think that that one or two games are going to be the difference. Yeah. And and Green Bay has got the head start on you and they have a much easier schedule. Because look at Green Bay's next next few games here. Actually, next six games. At, at Raiders, win. At Denver, win. Home versus Minnesota. Maybe a toss-up, but I'd lean win. At home against the Rams. Who knows what the Rams' record will look like by that point. Could kind of maybe be a lost season for them. Win. 
at Pittsburgh, not a good team. Probably, again, kind of a lost season at, by week 10 for Pittsburgh win. So, and then week 11, the Chargers, again, who knows? They're, they've been up and down. You don't know what Chargers team you're going to get. Probably a loss, but Green Bay, just I just have them rattling off five wins in a row and being seven and two, then seven and three at Detroit, seven and four home against Kansas city, seven and five. And then at New York, that looks good. Eight and five home against Tampa Bay, nine and five at Carolina will be obviously tanking by then 10 and five at Minnesota. Who knows where the Vikings will be by that time. And then Chicago. So real potential for green Bay to win 11 or 12 games just given their schedule because the the only games that look unwinnable on their schedule are at Detroit and Kansas City at home everything else looks like it's very winnable flash they'll be favored in most of those games and still be so and still get a wild card because the Lions are going to roll and still get a wild card but be like an 11 or 12 win wild card team right and probably be in the five spot. Most likely. Detroit's schedule is not tough. So neither neither is Green Bay's. So <laughs> the perks of matching with the NFC South. Yeah. And you know, if uh Green Bay were to pull out a win in Detroit for some reason, then they would probably win the division. Yeah. Most likely. But I'm not going to hold my hold my hopes on it, but uh, you never know. Just absolutely never know. All right. Anything else we need to get to this week? Um, I mean, uh, college football. You have any thoughts? The Pac-12 still looks good. Uh, Colorado hype train can die down a little bit, although they did make sort of a comeback against USC. I'm just pulling up scores from this week. Um it was we got the go ahead. I, I had a thought that how upsetting it was that the two biggest names in football right now are Deion Sanders and Taylor Swift. Like all these athletes that are out there actually playing and that's where all the coverage is going. Unfortunately yes. And uh we almost went another week of a podcast without mentioning her name. Sorry. Uh, until you did it just there. It's fine. I can, I'll, it's totally I'll edit fine. it in post. It's it's okay. I'll no, put in a don't beep. take it out. It's um, perfect. Um, but any anything jumping out to you? I know last week we kind of maybe talked about contenders, pretenders. Uh, did Georgia barely squeaking it out against Auburn give you any pause about them? I thought Notre Dame beating Duke at Duke kind of made them look legit. I think we understand now that the LSU hype was kind of overblown, given that they just gave up 50-plus to Ole Miss and lost. Um, I... I don't know. I'm just really thinking Ohio State maybe looks better. Um, Maryland should be ranked. They're 5-0. They're playing at Ohio State this weekend, but they 
should be ranked. I think Ohio State's going to win. Uh, Red River shootout this weekend at 11 a.m. I think Texas will probably take that one. And unfortunately, Texas looks pretty good. But anything uh, standing out to you in college football world? No, I think Red River is the big one for me this weekend. I think those are the two legit teams in the Big 12, as much as I hate to say it. The more the season goes on, the more I'm just kind of meh about the rest of the Big 12 here in their last year of this format. We were hoping somebody would take out one of these two. K-State may still be the best hope, but I don't love their chances. Texas with Quinn Ewers looks terrifyingly good. I agree with you on LSU. They were the team that I was doubting all year, not understanding why people love LSU. Also, a tip of the cap to Missouri, who's 5-0. and I do think LSU's good enough to beat Mizzou, but Eli Drinkwitz needed a couple of years, and he's got them back to relevance. One went away from a bowl. Uh, Alabama's going to beat up on Texas A&M, and that's, we're going to see Texas A&M. The Pac-12 is at least fun to watch, like you mentioned, and Washington State feels kind of like the real deal. It's, this is what I worry about, is they're all going to beat up on each other and finish with three losses, but Wazoo handled Oregon State, and Oregon State punished Utah, and Oregon State out-Utahed Utah. So that that Pac-12 race is going to get really interesting. Two weeks we have Washington and Oregon, which I think may be the de facto conference championship game. I think those two in USC are starting to pull away, but I still like the Ducks to be the favorite there. Uh, Looking at the rest of the slate for this week, I don't love the slate of games. I think there's a lot of good teams beating up on lesser teams and a lot of buys. My my beloved Miami Hurricanes, the U, I think they're going to hammer Georgia Tech and keep climbing up these rankings in a game that nobody else is going to talk about. Fresno State and Wyoming. Get some mid-major games in your life. Wyoming is fun. They're going to be at home. They're one of my favorite random stadiums to watch is games at Wyoming. And then you've got Fresno State, who's 5-0 and and number 24. So that's a little off-the-radar game for you. Otherwise, I think we're going to have Red River and then a lot of potential blowouts, at least in the top 25. Hey, I, uh, I'm i seeing that Fresno State-Wyoming game, 7 o'clock on Fox. I think that's cool. I'll probably tune in because... I don't think there's any better games going on at that time, but I did not realize that the running back for Wyoming was Harrison Whaley, who started his career at Northern Illinois, but played high high school ball here in uh, Urbandale, Iowa, which is where I currently reside. And he went to Urbandale high school, obviously, but that's cool. um, Yeah. That's a nice little connection. He plays running back for Wyoming and he has, 457 yards and three touchdowns on the season. So, uh, and I, I watched Texas tech Wyoming and really kind of thought that the Wyoming uh, stadium was a, a good atmosphere and it is in Wyoming. So a five and oh, Fresno state four and one Wyoming might be, if you're looking for something off the radar, because like you said, not a lot of great games other than the 11 AM red river. Uh, LSU, Missouri, I guess, if you care, or Notre Dame, Louisville, if you, if you believe in Louisville, maybe. But uh, I like Fresno State, Wyoming as a, a sneaky good game there. And I'm pretty sure Wyoming is getting six points, or at least the list that I'm looking at. So a home team who's very good getting six points. It's a, feels like a nice little way to tidy up with some cash. Yeah, but Fresno State... Might be the real deal. So I don't know if I don't know if uh, Wyoming plus six is the play there necessarily. But um, and then I've I've kind of got my eyes on. Uh, well, I wish I could get my eyes on it because it's on Pac-12 <laughs> Network. But oh, Washington State UCLA, 
Uh, yeah, nobody can watch the Pac-12's games this year. It really sucks. Um, so I don't know. I I know it's not as loaded as it was last week. Um, or was that two weeks ago where we were talking about all the top 25 matchups? But it's still going to be a good week of college football. So, what if Arizona State beats Colorado? Can we be done then? Oh, we can absolutely be done. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen because Arizona State's pitiful. <laughs> so, I'm trying to next week isn't too terrible. There's a couple of high-profile games: Oregon, Washington, the big one; USC, Notre Dame; UCLA, Oregon State; Miami, North Carolina. I'm trying to find like one week that's super loaded, but it, some some good we games sprinkled it. in here. Okay, we already had our best week. We had. We had our best week in that last week of, uh, yeah, we had our best week here in, uh, with the Utah, Oregon State. Uh, yeah, no, no, week four was our best week. And I don't think we'll top it for the rest of the regular season. Could be really, could be some other weeks that maybe I'm overlooking. I'm just looking at it right now, but, um, yeah, definitely not next week. So, well, we'll keep you, we'll keep talking about it as the season goes on, but plenty of parody, I think. I don't think there's any one real team that looks like they're going to run away with the national championship yet. Well, I, I need, I need to see a fully fleshed out Michigan with Harbaugh coaching against some real competition there. They may be the scariest team, which as a Michigan fan, I'm happy to see. But I, I agree with you. I don't know that anybody really stands out. Georgia's going to be the prohibitive favorite, but a full-strength Michigan team may be the most dangerous. Yep, I would totally agree. I think they look like a very complete team. Well, without anything else, that'll be our show for this week. A, a lot of content fit in there. Happy to get baseball back in. We'll see how the rest of my October fits together, if we can do a couple episodes there's a big UFC card to preview. We'll have football every week, get updated on the Major League postseason, and we do have NBA we're looking at in a couple weeks to do a big in-depth NBA preseason preview. So we'll have all that coming for you. Enjoy spooky season. Happy October, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Bye.